one year, I kind of got an idea. You know, I almost tried trap. I like to trap. I like to make lure, and I like to write. Where can it go from here? You would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money hand over fish trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got through the fur boom. This is Northern Michigan. This is what you do. Trappers love game trappers in a positive light. I'm going to ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This will be fun. Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volumes of Herb Lennon Game Magazine. Instruction from Herb Lennon. Herb Lennon's articles, the Herb Lennon ads to information, trapping radios. We are trappers on ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. Alright, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet because we're working ahead of time to build big trapping. If you got variables to change the trap, you got bog trap. They start talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down bottom. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't get any better. Trying to set predator trash and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like a sheer. You better edit this part out. Yeah, it was better. Back in the first shed, late, just like this episode. I'm Jeremiah Wood. This is Trapping Today. Thank you for listening in. We are brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures, K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S.com. Cots Brothers has a full line of trapping supplies, baits, lures, books, DVDs, everything you need to get started on the trap line. Go to CotsBros.com. On X Maps, use your phone as a GPS in the trap line. Get aerial imagery, landowner information, tons of different layers to make you more effective as a trapper. Mark your trap locations, follow yourself around, figure out where you're going, keep yourself oriented. On xmaps.com, use the code TRAP, T-R-A-P, when you check out for 20% off. And Moyle make a tannery. Get your fur tan by the professionals, moyle.net, M-O-Y-L-E. .net, official tannery of the National Trappers Association and of the Trapping Today podcast. Great uh, outfit there. They do an incredible job. And if you use their online customer portal, you'll get your fur tan faster. And let them know you heard about them from Trapping Today at info, I-N-F-O, at moil.net. That's their email. All right. Yeah, guys, um, I'm recording this a little bit late, but uh, I actually was on a tr- town run to get pick up some hydraulic fluid last night in the dark and I thought that I could record the podcast episode while I was in the car riding over for about a half hour stretch and um, tested everything out and started recording went to town did the whole thing come back went to upload it and I just did not like the audio quality it was there was something going on there and uh, it sounded fine when I tested it but when the vehicle was going down the road, there was just way too much. Something in the background was causing all kinds of distortion, so it was kind of frustrating. So right now I'm, I'm sitting here uh, trying to to re-record my thoughts, and uh, that, I guess I don't know that happens from time to time. So anyway, um, I don't know what to call this episode. I was thinking from fur to fur, from F-U-R to F-I-R, because that's kind of what's been going on with me lately. Um, one one sort of revelation hit me earlier this week 
it's pretty early in the morning. I'm trying to get some coffee in me. Um, it, it hit me when I I picked up a couple beavers this week. I did an animal damage job, just a real quick, easy thing. Um, I, I don't do animal damage for pay. I'm not an agent or anything. I just, I'll take care of a few beavers during the season if somebody needs it and it's convenient. And I was already going past this area anyway. So I picked up a couple beavers, solved the problem. Everything was good. Uh, I got home. I went inside, ate supper, and I started getting ready to go out on my tractor and do some work because I was setting up, I set up some nice LED lights on it so I can see really good at night now. And I could, since it's getting dark so early these days, I thought, geez, I could, I could get, uh, get some stuff done in the evenings uh, for a couple hours, which I have, I have been able to do. And it's been kind of nice. But halfway through supper, it hit me, oh, I got beavers to take care of. And it's 50 degrees out and, and uh, I don't have low in freezer space. So yeah, uh, I gotta go do that, and so I went and did that, and, and uh, you know how it is with beavers, these ones I just, I did them real quick, I skinned them, and and uh, uh, froze them, I skinned them, folded them up, and froze them, and stuck them in the freezer, and I'll take them out later on this season when it's slower to, to flesh and stretch and dry, and do all that, but the problem is, when I went to bring them to the skinning table here in the fur shed, I remembered when I walked in that I had a stack of beavers uh, already flesh stretched and dried sitting on top of the fur shed table. Well, earlier in the week, I cleaned out my chest freezer to make room for trapping bait uh, for the upcoming season, and I had 34 beavers there. These were beavers that I trapped last year, and I took... You know, I took the best beavers I had. I sent them to a market. I did really good on those. I got like 25 bucks a piece for those after shipping. Uh, probably get about four, fifteen or so, fifteen or uh, maybe a little more, um, if you count shipping and handling and all that stuff. But I had picked the best beavers, and I had a, a pile here that I stuck in the freezer. And my plan was I was going to get those tanned and try to sell those either on the Trapping Today store, sell them to different people, maybe uh, send them to my friend Josh up in Alaska, get some work done, get some mitts and stuff made. Um, that stuff sells. It's just a lot of work to sell it, and it's, it's a long process. Uh, but when I, when I decided I was going to send those out to get tanned, uh, I was waiting for some cold weather, sent them to Moyle, and just just so when you know 75 80 degrees in the UPS truck I don't want to raise any eyebrows but um, I, I I I waited long enough <laughs> and I get to the point recently where I went to get ready to send them and I looked at the total it was gonna be a thousand bucks to get those tanned uh, wouldn't have been a big deal a few months ago but now I don't have a thousand bucks and to do that so that that's the tough part about it you know it's it's uh so they sit here until i can can gather up the money and send them off to get tanned and then get you know started on the process of and by the way if you're going to send stuff if you send it right now it's going to be done a lot quicker uh they get a lot of fur like you know 
February, March, April, March, April, May, they get a lot of fur come in from the end of the trapping season. Really, really busy, and you have more of a backlog. But if you send in the fall, uh, or or if you send like in January, it's it's actually really good. Um, just de- and it depends on species. But anyway, so those sat there, and it really hit me. It was like, oh, how much money do I want to lose this season? And we all trap for fun. We know that. I mean, the money might pay the gas. Um, the money was a good little benefit several years back. And in, we know the mer- market has been declining for most species uh, very precipitously in the last few years, and it hasn't come back. Uh, so we're faced with a difficult decision where, you know, I'm always going to trap. I love trapping just like some people are always going to hunt some people are always going to fish i'm always going to trap to some extent but the difficult decision comes with how much trapping are you going to do because uh, it 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 gets it it, you can transition from a point where it's enjoyable to a point where it's a very expensive hobby that takes your time and your money it's a difficult spot and each person has to make their own decision on on where they are with with that so i've spoken recently on youtube and on youtube live and probably a podcast episode a couple of weeks ago about where i'm at right now with in life and i'm getting to be closer to middle age and well you know 30 37 38 and i'm looking at what i've accomplished so far how much I've saved for retirement, how, you know, how things are progressing on that front and whether I could possibly get to that stage where I could, I wouldn't have to rely on a a full-time job and I'm still relatively in decent shape where I can get out and trap. And I've noticed that here the last week when Coyote and Fox season opened here in Maine in northern Maine where a lot of guys that I know are out there just uh killing it you know they're 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 setting traps checking traps every day they're producing catching coyotes doing really well but every one of them is retired okay and they have they're still in decent physical shape they're get all getting older but they have the time to be able to do that um, a few might have sort of semi-retired or, or seasonal jobs, but uh, the point is not one of them has a full-time job and has catch pictures with daylight. <laughs> Let's just be honest. I mean, it, it just is not feasible to do 24-hour check on a, on a big, you know, you can do it for a while if you don't have a family, if you, if you, uh, you know, you could take some vacation time, dude. I understand a lot of people. Have, everybody's situation is different, but the fact is that the true, you know, ability to to just go out there and trap and spend the whole day doing it is a unique thing uh, in today's society, just because of the time constraints that we all have. So we all struggle with it, most of us. Uh, I I had have kind of thought about transitioning to a little bit less trapping, in order to. Uh, to make more time for some other things, but it's been difficult to try to kind of let go of that. Um, and, and so uh, I 
I have I've been pushing personally towards a few things that will hopefully um, grow uh, my personal situation to where where I can have that freedom eventually in I don't know 15 years or so uh, that's kind of a a date that I've thought about but but I don't know I don't know what I'm gonna do with that I'm working on it I I recently just uh, I I found an opportunity I decided going into winter I didn't want to didn't want to have another winter going into it where I was I had no direction really and wasn't making progress and was you know just kind of floundering uh, not going to Alaska not doing any major trips or anything uh, but I also don't want to just sit in, in around here and, and lose money doing a bunch of trapping or uh, you know stay cooped up so I can save money it just doesn't make any sense so I cashed in my savings and took a big risk and I bought a machine I bought a uh, a small excavator with a timber harvesting head on it uh, it's a kind of a unique piece of equipment a little hard to find but I I have about 70 acres of woodland here in northern Maine that I I harvest some of it with a chainsaw and uh, a logging winch in my little tractor I like doing that because I, I want to have really low impact on the ground small trails and I want to keep a lot of wood. I want to maintain a good, healthy forest, what I consider a good, healthy forest, uh, with with a diversity of tree species and uh, cover for wildlife. So I I can't find a contractor that's willing and able to, to do things the way I want them done or has, mainly because they don't have the machines small enough. They do a pretty good job uh, with what they have, but the machines are just so big because they're built for production. They're built for just cranking out wood, you know, number tons, truckloads per week. The numbers of truckloads per week would blow your mind in some of these machine outfits. And so, so I finally found something that was old and kind of beaten down to where I could afford the price, and I pulled the trigger on it, um, and, and I'm excited. I'm excited. Uh, it's going to take time out of other things including trapping but I'm hoping it will help set things up where you know instead of selling fur and losing money I can sell fur fir I have tons and tons of balsam fur that I can't cut effectively with my chainsaw and a limb it's just way too time consuming you look at what the mill is paying they you know there's not like fur prices they're paying they're paying fairly decent price but you you have to when you're handling each individual stick multiple times, uh, you're putting a measuring tape on the log and you're cutting every little limb. You could have a hundred or more limbs on a, a fir tree for two or three logs. By the time you get that pile out to the landing, it, you really have a lot of labor in there. I've tried it. I've done it a couple times and I, I could never get a truckload of logs in a reasonable amount of labor. Um, so this machine, you walk up to the tree, you can sneak in between trees. It's fairly, it's not too super big, um, and uh, grab onto the tree, cut it down. Uh, it runs the log through limbing knives. It cuts all the limbs off, and it measures the length, cuts the logs to length, and and you can set them right in a pile, and I can go and pick them up with my tractor. So 
that that's that's going to help improve things and hopefully i can i can start uh thinning out the forest helping improve growth improve the the timber stands on my property and get some income and help kind of just momentum it's a momentum thing i uh i i there's a lot of things I just can't do now, but this is one thing that I can do, and hopefully it'll it'll keep things moving, progressing forward. So I had some feedback from several of you guys, and I, I know this topic was, uh, it, it's one that everybody thinks about. Because when, when I get, I, I, one of the questions I asked in the trapper survey we did quite a while back was, what is your biggest challenge? with trapping and and by far the the most common response was time time management finding the time uh because a lot of a lot of you guys are younger and you're just getting into your family lives building family doing all that stuff which is is very important you all have most of you have full-time jobs and you're you're struggling like me to find the time and so I've had some different perspectives from the emails I've gotten and I've appreciated you guys kind of weighing in. It was mostly like, you know, everybody kind of understands that there's no right or wrong answer here, but people shared some of their experiences. So I had one listener who was, who's, who's in his early thirties. He said, I, I don't have a family, don't have, don't have a wife and kids, get a job. And I've decided to uh, to focus my uh, my time, and effort, and spend my money on enjoying myself now while while I'm still young, enjoying trapping, enjoying more recreational things. Because he said he knows of several people who had tragic accidents or health issues to where they they never made it to that age where they could enjoy what they saved up so so that was an interesting perspective and that's one side of of the coin uh, he he's doing things he's in, he's enjoying life live life to the fullest now because you never know uh, what you're you're uh, you're gonna end up with in the end or if you're ever gonna make it there we don't know we don't know what, how much time we have uh, but it also reminded me of two extremes in my life of, of this this spectrum and one of them was a guy I worked with years ago. Great guy. Really, really enjoyed working with him. Um, but every spare moment that he had when he was not in the 40-hour work week was recreation. Fishing. Fished 100 days a year. Uh, be floating down the river every weekend. Uh, rain or shine, be, he'd be out there. And it, he really really enjoyed himself and it was it's a it was a great lifestyle for him but i i looked at him and i kind of modeled myself into the future where he was like 10 or 12 years ahead of me in that project trajectory but i looked at myself and and if i was going to head in that direction i saw myself in 30 years being no further ahead than i than i was when i started which is fine for people if that's if that's what your goal is. If you're not worried about that, that's great. But I also look on the other end of the spectrum where there's an old farmer that I spent a lot of time with this summer, and he is 81 years old now. He's been saving money his whole life, and he has lived an incredible life, had 
all of the resources to do basically anything that he's wanted to do. And he's been able to enjoy a couple of decades uh, of, of good health. You know, he's turning the corner now, getting slowing down and getting older, but, but has reaped the rewards of his labors and his, his savings over time. And so there, there's two ends of that, that you gotta, you gotta look at. Um, another email from someone I had was, uh, he, he retired early retired I think he said at 55 and and he was only able to do it because his wife was still working with uh, a job that had insurance that would cover him and that is a key thing and he took like a 30% hit on his his retirement so that he could draw early because he he decided you know mid 50s still in good shape I want to enjoy it now and he's been doing that for a couple years been been trapping been just uh, really really enjoying and he said he he said absolutely no regrets, no regrets whatsoever. Uh, you know, we're not talking retire and go sit down on the couch. We're talking retire and and be just as active or more active than you were before. So different things to think about. But anyway, um, I'm moving forward on this, and and it's an exciting thing. And I'm still going to trap. I'm still planning on uh, on going out Martin and Fisher trapping, and hopefully I don't lose too much money but i'm gonna enjoy every every bit of it uh and uh and try to try to balance it all but it's good it's good so um i'm gonna move on to some listener questions which i answered last night but i'm gonna answer again so maybe the second time around i'm gonna be able to to have uh, a little bit or i'll remember everything i thought about before and then maybe a little bit more I had, oh, probably six or eight questions from different topics, but I'm only going to touch on three of them because they're all related to the same thing. Uh, basically, mustelid trapping in in boxes. So I had a couple of questions from Maine and one from Vermont, um, on, on mostly on fisher trapping, actually, some, some Martin-related stuff, too question from Vermont guy is has been uh, was fish trapping for Fisher last year I guess their Fisher season opens in December uh, he had bait out all November Fisher was coming in everything was good trap was hanging from the tree uh, but when the season opened he had he set his traps up with you know a box in the tree the trap up there in the tree and the Fisher would come by and never commit never go go up the tree and so the question was you know he's he's using a long distance collar homemade just skunk essence and vaseline and he asked do you have any lure that might uh, might help kind of turn the odds in my favor or, or help that animal commit and I, I did not try to steer him towards lure because i don't think in this case lure is is the problem I've noticed a lot of this. We had, we've had, we had different variations of regulations over the past 10 to 15 years in Martin and Fisher trapping where we've had to trap in trees. We've uh, had to, we, first we could trap anywhere we wanted, then we had to trap in trees, then we had to trap in these boxes, exclusion devices, and we've done, I've done everything in between. And I've tra- trapped Martin in other areas where there were, were no such rules. One of the things that to to remember was 
back in the day when you could trap anywhere, a lot of the big time Martin and Fisher guys would trap, they'd set their traps up in the trees when the populations were super abundant, especially for Martin, but I, the same thing goes for Fisher. Guys had no trouble catching them. Uh, their forests were much different. We had a lot more wood, a lot more mature forest in the woods. And guys were putting up big numbers, but they were concerned about over-trapping. And so they would set traps purposely up in the trees because they knew that males were much more likely to be caught in tree sets than, than females. And so they could improve their male-to-female ratio and keep more females uh, that would have baby Martin the next year uh, out there in the woods. So that kind of, you know, we went to a 25 Martin limit and it just that a lot of that kind of went away. And then, and then we got in these boxes, these exclusion devices. And I don't think personally, I don't think over trapping is anywhere near an issue any, anymore here. So it, it's habitat. It's really, it really is habitat. And we can't trap effectively enough to, to knock the population down and the prices aren't high enough to incentivize that anyway. So we know that uh, males are more likely to climb trees than females. If you had a female fisher coming around, that may have been the reason that, that she wasn't climbing that tree. The other thing is just in general, any animal, in my experience, uh, depending the you always have to look at the amount of effort they have to expend to get caught and, and get, to get at the bait and what the trade-off is there and so if for instance uh, a martin or fisher is coming along the ground on a hardwood ridge and there's tons of beech nuts on the ground and they're eating beech nuts and there's all kinds of uh, squirrels and voles and everything else is in there eating beech nuts and, and they're able to catch all kinds of food, they're going to come by, they're going to smell your long distance call or maybe go over to the to the tree and kind of pass by and try to see what's there and think, eh, I don't know what that is. Oh, there's, oh, I smell beaver meat. Oh, I smell muskrat. Yeah, I don't really need it. If it's two feet away on the ground, maybe they'll grab it and take it with them. Maybe they'll eat it. Um, but are they going to take the effort to climb up that tree? and poke their head in some weird object uh, in order to get it? No. If there's a foot of snow on the ground and that same animal is there and the food is harder to find and there's not many animals around or if it's a poor crop year and there's not many beech nuts or other berries, they're hungry. Maybe they walk by. Sometimes they might walk by when they're on a full stomach. Sometimes they might go by. Uh, when they're very, very hungry and haven't eaten in a while and they want that meat, then they're going to work harder to get that. Um, and, of course, that's where I've had fishers uh, walk around the box, make circles, investigate, and leave. And I've also had them come in and squeeze their body in a place, in an opening that you'd never think was physically possible to do and shimmy all the way into that box to grab the bait and get caught. So it's going to be so situation dependent. Also remember, you may have a fisher that's running a circuit and they may be seven to 10 days in between checking that area. And if you see a set of tracks, if you see a, a fisher cross the road or whatever, there's a pretty good chance that 
they're going to be back and investigate that same exact spot that they walked through before. I've seen this many times. But they may not get to it for a week and a half, two weeks, sometimes a little bit more. So, so you may miss one because he walked by and his stomach was full. And you may only have that trap out for two weeks and you'll never, you'll never get another chance at that animal. And so those are the things to think about. More sets are are, going to improve your odds, obviously. But I would say get that, get that box out of the tree, get that box on the ground. If you can legally do it, I, I don't, I don't know what all the different state regulations are and they change a lot. So just pay attention to your rules. But if you can legally do it, get that box on the ground, make it easier for that animal to commit. Now that's the primary thing that, that I can see. The secondary thing is the lure. And, and the lure, again, the lure I don't think is super important in, in this case. However, there are things that I've played with to try and increase my success. And what I have noticed well, first off, anytime there is a, a marten in a box and a fisher comes by, they can't seem to help themselves but to, to eat that fisher, tear up the backside of the fisher, or, or the marten, sorry, and, and, uh, and get into the box. And they may take the bait uh, after they've chewed up the marten a little bit. They, they may just eat the marten, but they're going in that box. And so we've we've discussed this uh, intraguild predation uh, the the whole rivalry between different species of the same guild that that occupy the similar habitats and feed on similar items and and the martin is a competitor for food so fisher's going to kill every martin it can and so that kind of got me thinking and i was also experimenting with all these refusals with these boxes for years and I got to, to thinking more about using a gland lure, a mustelid gland lure inside the box. Uh, I, I thought maybe it would it, it helped increase the, the comfort level of the animal like, oh, another mustelid's been been in that area. It's not you know I can I can go in. it's not a it's not a trap or whatever. Uh, I don't know how true that is. I don't know what's going on in their heads, but certainly seems that that territorial response can be triggered by them smelling another mustelid that's that's been in the area and they want to investigate that so if hunger is not a factor maybe like mink glands inside the box that's why like uh, my predator and predator plus lures uh, have mink glands in them to to kind of uh, elicit that type of response and also i save all the glands from the martin fisher i catch i don't i don't they're, they're so small that it's just not physically enough to to make a, and sell a lure from them. But I use them in, in a bunch of my boxes. And I have noticed, I don't know if it's statistically significant, but I have noticed a there has been a noticeable increase in catches in those Lynx exclusion devices when I've used glands, gland lure inside uh, the, the box with along with the bait. Speaking of boxes, I had a question about the Lynx exclusion devices and uh, the the differences between the 120 style slash 155 style device and the 160 slash 220 style device. Of course, the 160, 220 are a much bigger box. Uh, the the 120 is a four inch opening, but a straight shot, 18 inches from the bait 
18, 20 inches from the, the opening to the trap and the baits beyond that. I've gone over this in great detail, so I, I won't beat it to death. I, there are past episodes where I've discussed it, but um, definitely people, the guy was asking about Fisher and uh, which device I thought was better, I had better luck with. And ironically, you know, the, the larger device was designed to catch Fisher, but I catch more Fisher in the smaller boxes. Even though the four inch by four inch hole excludes a lot, a lot of the fisher population, you get a lot of fisher I think just can't physically fit in that four inch by four inch opening. Um, the, the larger opening of, of the bigger devices requires the animal make a 90 degree turn at the entrance of the box or two tight turns, depending on there's two styles that you can use. And I just, they just don't seem to want to make that turn uh, very very readily, and so I, I've having the the straight shot and having Fisher squeeze in that tight spot. I've caught Fisher up to 12 pounds, and I can't seem to break 12 pounds, but they definitely do uh, get caught more readily in that smaller box. I think if if we could legally have a five inch opening. With that 120 style box, I think we would catch every fisher in the woods, uh, and and still exclude links. But I'm I'm not the I'm not the expert on that. So anyway, we that's what I use. The other thing is even if if the the odds of success are would be the same with the boxes. Uh, the I'm running like 50 boxes probably more this year just because it's going to be a slower year with all the food that's out there in the woods it's going to be harder to catch and so i've got you know a couple truckloads of boxes and if i use the bigger boxes that takes up space of of at least two smaller boxes so i can't get near as many in the truck so that's a that's a factor i i've been going with small boxes and i use the big ones just because i have them around and if i'm in like more fisher style habitat i may use them but They'll catch Martin too. They're just they just don't seem to be as effective. I've done a bunch of designs on the boxes. I actually did a YouTube video on my latest box design. However, I I lost the footage. I don't know where the heck that went. I lost the the SD card on that. So um, I'm gonna do something here later this winter, probably just a, a little more. Um, next question was on. Connie pans and so I'm and I got to do a video the listener asked about doing a YouTube video on this and I should do it I, I will eventually it's a, probably just a short easy video but Connie pans are they he asked for Martin and Fisher trapping in Maine uh, do I use Connie pans and if so how do I set them what, what do I like for pan angle and so forth I use Connie pans in probably 90 to 95 percent of my traps for martin and fisher connie pan as opposed to a wire trigger to me it was a simple decision the the pan allows a martin something to step on rather than two pieces of metal to try to push its head through now it may not matter if that animal is running which i i get a lot they you could tell they they were just ran right into the box and their mouth is on 
the bait and they've got it clenched between their teeth when the, the trap fired off. So it was, you know, quick to get in there. And in that case, probably a trigger wouldn't even matter. It wouldn't matter what you had for a trigger. Uh, but the there's a couple different factors. I assume that having a pan makes an animal more ready, readily uh, willing to, to go in through the opening of the trap. It's, it's much more convenient for an animal to step on a pan and put their weight down on a pan than to push through something that's hard. You know, you're gonna you're gonna have them try to sneak under the trigger maybe. Um, so so I think pans are more effective in in my trap line. I don't know if that's necessarily the case, but I I think they are. Uh, there that is is really that was what my thinking was going into using conning pans when I decided to, to start but I've I've sort of noticed a an added benefit that has helped me by using conny pans and that is I catch way way more weasels now with the conny pans than I did with the wire triggers and some of you're gonna say oh well that's we don't want to catch weasels. That's not that's not good. I don't I want to avoid weasels. And if you want to avoid weasels, that's great. What I've noticed is the V trigger style, the conventional trigger style, weasels are not going to get caught nearly as often with that style of trigger. However, the weasels are going to go through your trap, grab your bait, and I've had so many cases where they pull the bait out of the box and the bait sets off the trap. The bait they hit the trigger with the bait. Bait sets off the trap, and they may or may not get caught. Uh, a lot of times, you have an empty trap, trap gripping onto a piece of bait with nothing in it, and then an animal comes by, um, and and uh, you don't catch them. So, what I, I I like to catch weasels. I don't care if they're worth fifty cents or a dollar. They're a catch. Uh, I enjoy catching them. Um, it's exciting coming up to a trap that you caught something, whether it's a, a weasel or not. Um, and I feel that I would rather, if I'm going to have a trap fired by a weasel, I'd rather have a weasel in it than have an empty trap. And once you've caught that weasel, you've got one less animal that could fire that trap off when the marten comes by next time. And so that's my thought. And I've actually noticed it. Uh, ridiculously high percentage of weasel catches in the 160s it was this was when i really noticed this was when i was running 30 one year i ran 30 160 style slash 220 and 30 120 style boxes that was like the first year i really ran those devices in a big way and i i had way more weasel you'd think with the smaller trap you'd have more weasels i had way more weasels with the larger ones and that big conny pan on a 160, I think the weasel's using that as a platform to jump off of to get at the bait. It's like just the perfect distance for them. So that's the they land on the the pan with all four feet and just dive over into the bait. And as they're doing that, they they fire the trap and they they fling their head right in between the two trap jaws as as it's coming closed. That's my theory. Of what's going on? But way more weasel catches with those. So. Um, I, I, to me, it's been a plus. Your mileage may vary. 
the other thing with the, the question with Connie pants was the angle of the pants and you can set these all different ways and the, a video will be much easier to explain this but um, I, you can set that pan so it sits flat just just perfectly level or you can set it where the angle is going up 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 all the way up to to where the pan is just sitting there right in the middle of the set trap and the animal's got to push its face through the pan um, to get caught and so I, I, I experimented with a fair bit of this as well. And uh, I, I, I started off with uh, as flat of a pan as I could get. Um, that seems to work just right for Martin. And the way that the boxes are set up and the way that the distance from the trap to the bait, it seems as though uh, a Martin's when a Martin's mouth is on the bait, his two front feet are on my Connie pan, just based on where my trap is. And so it's it's really quite perfect. If you have a nice level pan, you have a wide opening, trap opening, nothing in the way, that animal comes through, steps on the pan, while it's grabbing the bait, gets caught, instant death. Now, what I have noticed is this isn't really the case with Fisher. And you would think with Fisher, uh, you would want a low pan, a level pan, because you want as big an opening as you can, because they're big Fisher, they're, their heads will fill a one, 120 opening. However, uh, what I have noticed is, uh, I, because the Fisher's body is much larger, their feet are never going to touch that Connie pan, when the way the bait is, is set up on my trap, and... Uh, just the way their body size is configured, they can get in there and get their mouth around the bait and their entire neck is is in between the jaws of the trap. But if they don't, they have to fire that pan with their neck or their breast, um, the front side of their breast, because uh, their feet are so much further back. And so what I noticed in that case was I think I had this happen on a few occasions without a camera inside the box. It's hard to tell, but um, I think I had a fisher squeeze in the box, likely smaller fishers, grab the bait and pull it out, just working over top of the conny pan and never touching the conny pan and, and sneaking back out of the box and not getting caught. Um, or maybe firing the trap on the way out and getting smacked on the nose or something, but not getting caught. So uh, in that case, I've actually started to angle the pans up a little bit, and it just closes the opening a little bit more. So it's still a nice big opening for a Martin or Fisher to want to get at the bait. But it's just, the trap is at a bit of an incline, and it's just enough to where the Fisher seems to be able to fire that with its chin or or the you know some somewhere along the throat or breast area so that's that's my theory that seems to be working fairly well seem to get less uh, misses that way um, so that those are my thoughts on on uh, those three questions hope that helps some people and uh, I'll, I'll bang out some other questions here uh, later on but yeah hope you guys are having a good trapping season hope you are able to answer the same questions I've had on how much time do I spend trapping 
how much time can I afford to spend trapping? And I hope y you all are coming up with your own unique answers that, that works well for you. So with that, guys, uh, Cotsboro's message of the week, check out the wire screen aluminum wire screen pan covers from Cotsboro's. I know canine season is going up here and in some other places in the northern U.S. And for other folks, uh, you're not you're not in full swing yet. Uh, if you're still prepping, I would encourage you to try these out. Uh, aluminum wire screen is great pan cover material. It doesn't pick up uh, scent like a lot of the other materials can. Uh, you can reuse them. You can you can uh, boil them and, and get scent off them. Uh, you make a catch, you can bend them back into place. These, uh, Cotsboros has improved on these. They, they are now machine stamping uh, the openings for the dog. Uh, and these will accommodate all different uh, style of traps. They've got instructions on, depending on what trap style you use, dogged or dogless. And also the edges are kind of neatened up so that you don't have any ragged edges on, on the pan covers. So check them out, Cotsbros.com. Thanks, Cotsbros. Thank you guys for listening in. Uh, Till next time, keep on talking trap and keep on thinking trap, and we'll catch you on the next episode.